Hey. Hey to you. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Welcome to this edition of Hypnosis Week. The gentleman you can see on screen if you're on the video channel. Obviously, if you're on uh, iTunes, Apple, or any of the other audio podcasts, you can't see his face. So perhaps after listening to this, you'll want to pop over to YouTube and be able to watch his body language and facial expressions as well. But the gentleman I want to introduce you to this week is... Uh, currently based in India, although he is from uh, England, he is in India the current president of the ANLP, which is the um, Association of Neurolinguistic Programming. Uh, we'll go into that more very shortly. He lectures regularly at Indian colleges, universities, corporate companies and stuff. Again, we'll get into that shortly. I've got loads of bullet points here that I could tell you about, but um, I'm not going to tell you them all. I'm going to let him explain. But let's just say this gentleman in 1969, I'm sure he won't mind me saying that given it's on his own website, got his, and the reason I'm doing the rabbit ears, um, for people on the audio, I've just done rabbit ears symbol in the air, um, because I'm just going to say that he's genuine, and I'm doing that not because it isn't a genuine psychology degree. It's just, as you know, frankly, I think psychology degrees are not worth the paper they're printed on. Uh, no offence to anyone. It's just um, what the teacher in a degree bears, in my opinion and experience, next to no relation to what happens in the real world when you actually get out there with people. But we'll definitely be talking about that. The gentleman in question is also a martial arts um, expert. He's got a fourth dan black belt in judo, a first dan in a aikido. Nearly, nearly slipped up there. Get a new set of teeth. He's got a background also in teaching, and for a short while was a deputy head of a boarding school for maladjusted um, pupils in Surrey. He is qualified as an actual clinical psychologist, so actually, you know, proper psychology degree route as in proper university not diploma paper mill style but he is best known when you go looking on the internet for nlp hence um we'll obviously be talking about things like that his website links will be below this video and also below the audio on the podcast so without further ado the gentleman i'd like to introduce you to is dr david john lincoln welcome to the show sir Thank you, Jonathan, and uh, welcome for having me. Well, thanks thanks for agreeing. Look, the first question I ask everyone is the obvious one. It's the age-old, cliched one, but it's the one that at least then viewers and listeners can get to know you. What was your journey from even uh, before 1969 when you did your psychology degree? What led you to doing that and then going from there to where you are now? Okay, well, um, it was a very simple journey. Um, I started... Uh, in around about 69, 70 after the degree as a school teacher. Because in those days, many years back, you, all you needed to teach was a degree. Now, of course, you need to have a diploma in education and all sorts of other things. And because of my martial arts, and I was also into rock climbing and various other sports, I was appointed as a PE teacher into what was then called a middle school, not quite the middle school we know, it's just that in Croydon, this is in South London, when they went into comprehensive education, they didn't have schools big enough, so they split it. So they had 11 to 14 and 14 to upwards. And this was an 11 to 14. In fact, it was called Ingram High School. I believe it's still going in Thornton Heath in Croydon. And I did that for 
two or three years um, and I found that teaching was not me. I'm more of a, in NLP terms, a rapport builder. I like to get to know people very well. And in the teaching in those days, it was hands off, you know. In fact, the thing that sent me out of teaching was the, the words the headmaster said when we had a bit of a problem with one of the students. He said, Mr. Lincoln, you are paid to teach, not to care. And I didn't like that. See, yeah. So I decided, well, I'll go and get into the care profession. So from there, I went to a school which you may have heard of in Red Hill, I don't know if it's still going, called the Royal Philanthropic Community Home and Care. This was That's all mouthful. Yeah, this was all the changeover of what was known as the 1969 Children's and Young Persons Act, which effectively did away with prisons and approved schools for kids and put them all into care homes. Um, so from there, from the care home and so on, I spent a few years there. I also um, was involved with Longgrove Regional Adolescent Unit at Longgrove Hospital in uh, Epsom. And then I popped over, started to go to America, which became my uh, uh, second home for a little while. And I was in a place that called Kansas, where nobody goes to, except, of course, um, the Yellow Brick Road, Dorothy. She was there. You know. yeah. I passed in Kansas. I fell in love with naturopathy. And I did a um, naturopathy training in a place called Mapleton, which is right on the border of Kansas and um, Oklahoma. Um, and at the same time, I was continuing with my psychology. And I did a, a PhD based on uh, mind-body connection. And at the same time, did my ND, which was uh, based on something called soup, soup, our salvation, SOS. See, very clever, okay. soup, our salvation. Um, and then around about the, uh, let me think now, what well, yeah, it must have been around about 1990s, I got involved with NLP. Uh, a sort of a back doorway. I had a, a girlfriend at the time um, and she took me sort of dragging and screaming to an NLP open program with me saying, oh, no, it's just pop psychology. Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, from there, I thought, well, this is a bit interesting. And in those days, you could do a weekend um, because the, the, the first course was 20 days. So you had a weekend introduction. And somehow I got into the 20 days. Now, at the end of the 20-day certified practitioner course, I was still yelling, pop psychology, won't work in the real world, load of rubbish, and I went back to America. And while I was, because I was still studying my ND in those days, it took a long time to do the ND. And whilst in America, I was taking on patients because it's very easy to get psychology patients in America. I'm not going to say anything about what they are. <laughs> I don't want to bring in Donald Trump and all his followers at this time. Well, there, I've just done it. But anyway, um, so I was quite easy to get patients. And, of course, patients used to boast about having a psychologist, you see. And I had extra boasting rights because my patients could say, I've got a British psychologist. Yeah. So the very first patient I had coming along, and I, only, I can only say it this way, I found myself doing NLP on them. And it was working. And the voice of my trainer, the person who trained me, was in my ear at the time. And we always used to say, and still do in NLP, is that if you do something with somebody and it works, it's NLP. If you do something that doesn't work, it's, it's psychology or psychotherapy or any other name you want to put to it. So after that, I thought well, that was great. I'll come back and I'll do uh, the masters. 
And by the way, just as an aside, and I don't think you mind me telling you, but on the practitioner and the master practitioner was a young man who was a, um, a bank manager. And when we're introducing yourself, he stood up and he said, I'm a bank manager, but I want to be a stand up comic. Well, we all laughed because we all thought bank managers were stand up comics, you know. Uh, and then we went to the master practitioner. He said the same thing. He got up again, happened to do the same one as me. It was a year in between. And he said, I've got my first gig. Now, you may wonder who that person is. I'm How not, I'm, to I think if it's who you're going to say, because the answer is right now, I don't know for certain. But there is a British comedian who, when I see him perform, I have commented to people when I'm watching him that he is using purposely, and I would argue definitely, in my opinion, was doing it knowing what he was doing rather than accidental, like mm. a lot of people do. Facial anchoring and stuff mm. Mm. for getting various areas of the stage is right for certain well, gags and stuff, and that would be Jimmy Carr. Yes, absolutely. You got it in one. Is Jimmy Carr. Oh, yes. I thought, oh. I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Jimmy Carr. And uh, I say collected him for a little year, but then we drifted off, you know. Um, but after that, so they did Master Practitioner in London. And then because I was going back and forth from America, I decided to do the trainer's training in, in America, which I did in California um, in the year 2000 or 1999. I can't remember off the top of my head, but around for the, the time. For the benefit of people watching or listening, just to clarify, because obviously we, we're now in a marketplace where mm. – you can go do your training. Well, you can do all the levels of courses with all manner of different people. But back in the day, certainly in the eighties um, and early nineties, generally speaking, I know there were other people doing it, but generally speaking, most people went and trained with Bandler and/or Grinder. So I'm assuming you were on the Bandler. Well, I I had done work with Bandler and Grinder, but my main mentor at that time was. Um, ah, gone out of my head it'll come back to me in a minute a little short fella um not tad james yeah tad james all right tad. okay yeah i haven't seen tad it seemed to have disappeared over the last year or so and i think perhaps he's sort of semi-retired or retired i don't know but yeah so i tad james and there were a lot of other people there um a very big course they always were big um and uh, became a, a trainer there and then the rest as they say is history as far as nlp is concerned although i didn't I did uh, the last trainer's training I did as a trainer in England was with Terry Ann Laws, funny enough. Um, Mental combat. Yes, yes. And then, um, and then I came to India. She came to India for a year. I came to India. Um, and then I found there was a great need because the, the NLP here was awful. In fact, the whole psychology is awful here. It's terrible. You know, I mean, it's back in the dark ages in some of it. And, no, uh, well, go on, let me, I, I, as this goes along, I will just butt in occasion. So please excuse me for appearing rude, but it's just all um, these free-flowing conversations. I have a chance to drink my tea while you talk. <laughs> Good man. It just, you made me think that you said the psychology is bad there, but you're in India, the land of, um, I know I'm a bit, this is not meant to sound racist to anyone watching or listening. And if you get offended by it, you need therapy, frankly. But you are stereotypically in a land, you know, India, China, lands of mysticism and mm. very ingrained, strong 
religious beliefs, yeah. which is well, nothing word, wrong with, but I word, would argue that makes word, our job easier. The word is guru, the land of the gurus. Um, yeah. And there are all types of gurus from, as you say, religious, things like Osha, um, who went to America and was kicked out, um, and right up to uh, anybody you can think of. And of course, it has its own history going back 5,000 years or more with all its idols and its, and its, um, and its gods. You know, in Hinduism, in Hindu, there's like, I don't know, exact number, 365 million gods or something. Um, but you see that the great thing about Hinduism is it isn't a god. There is no god. Everybody's a god. You're a god. I'm a god. Every cell in your body is a god. Um, so it's not really religious in the way that we fully understand it, although Hindu people would, would object to me saying that. Um, yeah, so it is in the land of the gurus. And, you know, like like NLP trainers, like psychologists, like doctors. There's good ones, there's medium ones, and there's bloody awful ones. Um, and the, the really bad ones actually show up uh, more here because, you know, every, every village and every town has a guru of some description or follows a guru. Um, and some of them, you know, were good, some were bad, some were both. But yeah, so coming here, following some people that had done NLP here, uh, most of the NLP that was done here was very bad, very poor, very bad quality, not actually true. And then people started to mix and match it all together. Um, and the very common thing, which is very big here, I don't know if it's big in England, is this law of attraction stuff, right? Um, and everybody's mixing the law of attraction in with NLP. Um, and when you think about it, the law of attraction is just one thing. <laughs> it's just one statement, and that's it. But here, you can become a trainer of law of attraction. You can go through all courses, pay lots of money, and end up a trainer. Yeah, um, it's sadly got like that here yeah, as well. Yeah, but who is to say you're a trainer of law of attraction? You know, there is nobody. It's not like, at least in NLP, you've got Bandler and Grinder. Uh, and, and, you know, you can trace it back to them, whether you agree with them or not. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The irony, I know you said at least you've got them. And, and, and no, at the end of the day, as I always say on these shows, it doesn't really matter how you do what you do, because at the end of the day, if you're getting results for your clients exactly. and they're happy hmm. and you built up a good reputation, then the rest of it's pretty immaterial. That's right. That's right. So, hence... And that's also my get out of jail free card for anyone watching or listening who gets offended by anything I say. But because we are being watched or listened to by people who potentially already do NLP but might want to do the next level, so they might want to contact you afterwards, or they might want to get hold of one of your books and stuff. We, we are. I am going to play devil's advocate a bit. So you mentioned Bandler and Grindler. 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 Um, Bandler, in my honest opinion, is and make of this what you will, is without a doubt one of the best con men and stage hypnotists yeah. that has ever lived who very cleverly came up with the name NLP just to get round uh, the laws where he was in terms of not being able to do hypnosis at the time and has managed to build build a wonderful multi-level marketing pyramid mm. scheme of mm. uh, nlp where you have to pay him every year uh, or every two years yeah. for your um, new single like, bit of paper 
it's slightly different now because there are loads of other organizations that don't follow that route. Well, only because he lost his uh, trademark and NLP. That's right. Christina Hall took half of his business and so on. But, you know, I thought you were going to say, which I would agree with you more, that Richard Bandler is as mad as a hatter because he really is a strange person and has some... um, how can we put this politely? He has some strange thought patterns in his head. Um, he's so anti-psychiatry and psychology, and yet he doesn't really know anything about it. Um, now, Grinda, on the other way, is much more sort of calm about the whole thing. Uh, Grinda has now gone in with Michael Carroll, who and I played with. New Cord NLP. Let's well, call it uh, something new and... Yeah, well, that was just a, a, a really effectively was just a, 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 an advertising gimmick and a promotional ploy. I mean, all new code NLP is uh, the adding of more kinesthetic, more feelings and some silly little games where you have to say numbers in the right order and that sort of thing. Um, touch your nose and touch your knees and all that, which has been around for a long time. Um, but no, it's just really he wanted to separate himself, if you like, from the mad hatter to the mad professor um, and have a separation. So John teamed up with Michael Carroll, who was on my trainer's training when I learned it, um, and his current wife, uh, Sinclair, Bostick Sinclair, I think her name is. Yeah. Um, they now run a quite a successful um training business uh, and one of the things i like about john grinder is the fact that he doesn't now use the word so much nlp and practitioner and master practitioner he calls his students agents of change because that's basically what we all are we're all catalysts to help other people change whether we're using hypnosis whether we're using nlp we're using psychotherapy or whatever other than invasive stuff of course um we're just helping people to change to be better that they want to be and so i think that is a much nicer way of looking at things um by the way about a marketing name well john um richard vandler is my age uh, which is quite old but john grinder is 10 years older again so john john is an octatitarian whereas um richard and i are both septatitarians you know so in fact i think i'm a year older than richard is so um you know the thing is and without making too fine a point on it, they will drift away and other people will come up. And there are some clever people in NLP. I, I think, for example, um, uh, there we go. You see, my old age is coming out, not remembering names. Um, but the guy who does all the modeling um, and the California, the, the, what's he called himself? Oh, British dear. guy. Yeah, no, American guy. Anyway, there, there are a lot. Why it would smell? No, well, Wyatt, Wyatt's sort of semi-retired now. Wyatt and, and um, uh, he dropped, fell out with a few people. I mean, everybody in NLP, I mean, it's the science of communications, and they all fall out with each other all the time. I know, it's ridiculous. I've got to tell you, in Rochdale, I'm going back about, I live, I'm currently living in Rochdale in Greater Manchester, England, and there's a hotel here called the Broadfield Hotel. And mm. when Terry Ann Laws was living in Rochdale, she brought over Wyatt Wood Small to England, to mm. the Broadfield Hotel, and mm. he ran one of his um, modelling courses. Yeah. yeah. And it turned out that I booked the hotel, the other function room, for a two-day 
uh, NLP training. Right. And I had just, I had basically the same number of people in my conference room as uh, Wyatt did. Right. That part's immaterial. What's hilarious is apparently Wyatt's course had already been running for four or five days prior to the, the last two days were going to be the Saturday and Sunday that mine was taking place in the other room. Mm. And I had a ton of people who'd never done any training whatsoever. By lunchtime on the Sunday, bearing in mind they'd only been with me for a day and a half, and these other Muppets, sorry mm. if you're on it, but bloody hell, what you got up to for seven days, Christ, talk about the blind leading the blind. Mm. They had them walking around with their ankles tied together all around the grounds of the hotel. So you'll start to feel the physiology of the other person. Oh, really? They had them doing this for several days to then yeah. teach them how to do a verbal modelling pattern that yeah. I taught people before lunchtime on the Saturday morning, and my delegates were tying up the students in knots on the Sunday afternoon in the Broadfield Hotel to the point why I had to come and try and get them out of the room because very rapidly they were realising that they just yeah. wasted a week yeah. of their life. I, I think that was a, a, a misinterpretation of Gregory Bateson, you know, the British uh, linguist, who, who used to say, you don't know somebody until you walked a mile in their shoes. <laughs> and so, therefore, tie your shoes together and walk, and then you can walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, the other person, I, I name I've forgotten, is, was Robert Diltz. Oh, yeah. Slight uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And Robert Diltz is a thinking man's NLP, and, and he puts it together. So Robert Diltz, and there's a few others that are coming up that will be the new Bandler and Grinder, for want of better words. Um, well, when, to be honest, of all the names you've mentioned, I mean, I'm, I'm fans of them all in certain ways, and I, 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 and I can be devil's advocate-wise critical of them all in certain ways. Um but Robert Dills, because of this slight of mouth and language patterns and stuff, mm. I particularly like because ultimately it's getting back to what, in, in the therapeutic context, I know NLP is also used for management training and all this. Yeah. Yeah. Therapy-wise, um, we're getting back more to verbal suggestion there. Mm. Which, well, uh, yeah, Robert was one of my original trainers. Uh, he, he ran a bit on our master practitioner, four days I did with him. But the thing about Robert, he's never upset anybody. You know, the others have all upset people because they've opened their mouths in the wrong time and said the wrong thing to the wrong place. And loads of them ended up in court. And then we had this um, British hypnotist guy, um, what's his name um, on the television, McKenna, Paul McKenna. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul McKenna, uh, with... Uh, uh, Richard Bandler took NLP to court to say that they had the trademark of the whole NLP and the British NLP which at that time we're talking about what I call the original well, NLP I, I don't know how true it is but I heard and I've heard this story several times yeah. uh, so I am putting a caveat here that I don't know how true mm -hmm. this is but I was led to believe that originally you see Paul McKenna started doing his own courses yeah and Richard Bandler wasn't involved. That's right. And I was led to believe that he offered NLP courses and Bandler wasn't very happy because of the trademark thing. And rather than it end up going into expensive, long-winded litigation, part of uh, the remedy was that um, Paul's company would promote Richard in the UK. Well, that may be possible, but there was never a copyright issue. Um, and uh, um, 
McPaul took to court to say that Richard Bandler and his company at the time owned the copyright to NLP. Right. And the judge, the judge actually said, no, NLP is in the domain. You can't copyright it anymore. And at the time, ANLP England, um, there's ANLP India, ANLP England, in the original ANLP, which was a committee and had quite a few people on, and I had every position in that committee, we put together a fight to, to beat Paul McKenna at the courts and put, you know, raise the money and so on. Um, then, to tell you the stupidity of NLP, we then got to a rather difficult situation. This is ANLP UK, not the current the old one, um, Richard Bandler brought in a seven-day NLP program yeah. um, with, you know, on CDs and all that sort of thing. And we were quite happy to say, yeah, we'll, we'll certificate that, we'll accept that as a certificate. But we also had a whole crowd of people in our organization that wouldn't accept it. They said, oh, no, NLP can only be a minimum of 20 days. You can't have a short period. And so we got to a position where Richard Bandler was threatening to sue us for not accepting his certificates. And this other group of people were threatening to sue us if we did accept his certificates. So we were between the rock and the deep blue sea and ANLP, the old one, folded. And then it was the, the um, what you might call the, the, the mailing list and all the information was bought by uh, a young accountant lady who knew nothing about NLP at all. And she then created the new company, which was originally ANLP Limited, and now it's ANLP CIC Community Interest Company, or I think now they call themselves NLP International. And since then, she's actually done her NLP and done her trainers training and so on. But it's, um, you know, uh, unfortunately, I fell out with them. I think I'm a bit like you, Jonathan. I fall out with people, not because I fall out with people. They fall out with me. You know, I just call a, a, a spade a spade. And if you don't like it, well, I'm sorry, a spade's a spade. Which is, I, I, you know, in the past 20 minutes, that's become abundantly clear that you um, you will say things exactly how you yeah. see them. Which is and the great excellent. thing about India is no nobody sues you in India. It takes 20 years to get it to court. So some of these questions I've got penned down here. I'm very much looking forward to your answers, given that you will say what you truly think. Yeah. And again, it's nothing personal or offensive. Uh, mm. And it's nothing against NLP. If there's people out there who train it, NLP, yeah. I guess it works. It gets results. Of course it does. Mm. So does numerous other things in different names, if it's done in the right way and the person believes them. We're not yeah. going there. Don't get upset. But I do think NLP, the bits that actually do work in the therapeutic manner, as it were, mm. ironically, have their roots firmly in so-called conventional psychology. And, and, yes. and mainly, I mean, NLP, for people who perhaps not done it, there's lots of terms thrown around, such as anchoring, collapsing anchors, yes. and that's one of the biggest uh, things which you know in layman's terms it's operant conditioning or classical conditioning pavlov's dog yeah a lot of that's there i mean a lot a lot of it you will see repeated or comes out of something called brief psychotherapy um brief psychotherapy really means problem driven solution orientated and that's basically what NLP is about, is looking for solutions, not looking for the problems. And um, some of the people now, for example, a lot of NLP is based on Milton Erickson, who was a psychiatrist. Yeah. 
um, and very clever man. Um, and at the same token, people like uh, Richard Bandler say, oh, psychiatry is a load of rubbish. And yet over half of NLP is based on the psychology or psychiatry, rather, of Milton Erickson, who was a yeah. fully fledged psychiatrist. And those elements do have value. But you, what, what I'm mm. going to throw this in, what you make of Erickson gets out of, oh, he's the grandfather of hypnotherapy and the master of indirect hypnosis. Mm. Um, I have a thing out called the biology of hypnosis. I'll, say, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the links to the videos okay. after the interview okay. when, you, when you've got nothing better to do. Um, mm. um, and in there, I spend a good two hours putting forward the research I did for a while because I just get bees in my body. And mm. I did research and Milton Erickson... In a nutshell, my conclusion is, was a psychologically deranged, narcissistic, con man who was an incompetent hypnotist, but yeah. because he knew he was crap as a hypnotist, he had to try and reframe it, as NLP would call it, and brag about the fact that it might take him 20 sessions to use a conversation to get the change in the client, rather mm. than just going, sleep, mm. you bastard. Um, mm. And he was a pervert who took pleasure from getting women to wear skirts shorter and shorter, yeah. putting people in stress positions against walls. And this isn't conjecture. He openly admits these things mm. in his own publication magazine that he put out. Well, uh, I, I can go some of the way with agreeing with you. I mean, basically, from my understanding, he was a medical doctor, i.e. psychiatrist. And all the, all the psychiatrists I'd known from around that era were totally mad. There's no two ways. <laughs> I think you have to be mad to be a psychiatrist. And if you're not, do you know, in the 1990s, the highest rate of suicides in Canada were psychiatrists. They had the highest suicide rate of all professions in the 1990s. Um, because, you see, psychiatry is a relatively new um discipline in far as far as education is concerned so yes i i don't think he was a hypnos hypnotherapist at all i think his followers called him a hypnotist he wasn't a hypnotist he just used some english in some um he used some interesting conversational panel uh, types and that's it full stop um because as i'm sure you know if you did your research actually hypnosis came uh, well, apart from it's always been here, but it was sort of really first discussed and put to paper 5,000 years ago in India. Uh, and here, in fact, in, in, this, in the capital of Panjim, uh, capital of Goa called Panjim, there is a statue, uh, I've got a photograph of it somewhere, of a priest um, of the very early 19th century. And he's got his hands like that, and there's a woman underneath. And he was one of the forerunners of practicing hypnosis in Goa in, in the 1900s. So, um, as you know, hypnosis is a very old art and it's, it is an art because, you know, um, you can't take people's mind. Well, you know, this, I'm teaching to suck eggs, but, you know, you can't force anybody to do anything. And the only time you could... I disagree with you there and I disagree with anyone who says that. Right. I am actually an advocate that you can make anyone say or do absolutely anything you want, even if it contradicts the morals and values, including <laughs> things that are considered to be illegal. And yes, that does include creating Manchunian right. candidates to kill people, obtaining mm. people's computer mm. passwords, bank PIN codes under mm. hypnosis and creating amnesia so they don't know. Mm. And all the stuff that people say can't be done, I know mm. it can be done. 
I've done it in the real world, in media, yeah. and also it's been done um, and declassified um, mm. CIA documents show well, that it was done in MK Ultra. Well, certainly um, hypnosis has been used as a um, part of mind control um, with as torture and all sorts of things, um, but it's normally also done with either sleep deprivation or pain, um, then you'll get in. I mean, pain, you can make anybody do anything normally. I mean, all this James Bond training. Ironically, all the pain thing can be done psychologically through the hypnosis itself. I was going to come on to that, that there is psychology behind it. Now, for example, you say you can't get anybody to kill anybody, but if I convinced you by various ways that that man, A, had murdered your mother, and I really convinced you with it, um, you would want to murder that man, eh? Well, everybody would if they murdered their mother or their child. Or, the, or that. It's quite easy to convince somebody that somebody has murdered somebody or done something wrong because, you know, we, we tend to listen to gossip. and it, it So it's quite easy, you're right, to do that. But the, the true hypnosis is part of the human psyche. You know, it, it's a, a stage between awake and sleep, which is natural for everybody. Um, and the use of that natural state is what I think is supposed to make the difference between NLP and hypnosis, is that NLP uses the natural state without saying, in fact, they use the word trance, don't they, without saying it's hypnosis, whereas a, a straightforward hypnosis person will say, I'm, we're going to do some hypnosis now. Well, with the greatest respect to everyone, I'm going to upset by this. Um Ooh. And anyone who goes on hypnosisweek.com, you'll see that this is the consistent standpoint uh, I've taken with everybody. It doesn't matter whether the hypnotist, helpers, life coaches, it doesn't mm. matter, you know. Um, I don't care whether you're an NLP trainer, practitioner, or a hypnotherapist, or whatever other title you've got. Uh, whether you term it as being trance or state, ultimately, mm. you just alluded to the fact it's the same thing in different mm. contexts. It's only relevant anyway, because when the things work therapeutically, the only reason why they work is because it's an important seeming ritualistic process that the individual can buy into. And it gives them um, the perfect excuse and permission to change and allows them to remove all self-blame, shame, guilt and regret from themselves mm. for not having got off their ass and done it sooner. Which yeah. they always could have done because there's nothing you can do with hypnosis or NLP that mm. can't be done without hypnosis and NLP. Right. I, I, I can follow where you're coming from. Um, the, the idea of trance, hypnosis, or any other word is what we used to say as school kids, you know, same meat, different gravy. Um, so it all is the same stuff. Now, the only thing I would want to differentiate between is physical disabilities of the brain, right? Uh, down syndrome etc etc and accidents and all that sort yeah. of stuff mm -hmm. right now if we put all that stuff to one side then you're absolutely right anything else is an excuse is this excuse to be lazy is this excuse because i wanted to do something i wanted to do that so i did it um we all tend to control ourselves from not doing all the urges that we feel like doing i'm sure many a person has felt like murdering somebody at some time in their life and raping somebody and all this sort of stuff but we tend to keep it 
well, I'm, not so sure. I'm not so sure about the second one, uh, but the first one, I imagine the majority of people can relate to feeling like murdering somebody at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so our, our morals tend to keep us in check and we don't do that. And we don't do it only for our morals, but for the fear of the consequences. That's why we have well, not so much in England, in some countries, death penalties. And I'm sorry, it's going off on one, and I'm not doing clever nested loops. Uh, it's just because you mentioned Jimmy Carr before, and then the word rapes come up. He's all t- one of his gags. Oh, the, the man's, it, he just takes it to the edge. I bought myself a rape alarm recently, so I don't forget when I'm supposed to rape somebody. It's like, whoa! <laughs> well, he's very much on the edge, isn't he, Jimmy? Yeah, yes. brilliant. <laughs> And deadpan sometimes when when he says things. So deadpan as if it was absolutely means it, you know. Yeah. And uh, he he has there is nothing taboo with his subjects. Nothing. He'll talk about anything. I know that will offend some people, and some of his gags offend me sometimes. But that doesn't stop me watching him because I figure, look, I my belief. I'm going to ask you what's your what's your, what's your take on all this political correctness. I get the personally you know people should be accepted for who they are what they want to be and all this that the other but by the same token when you start saying you can't do jokes about irish people um an well, example being there's a british comedian no longer with us a guy who was called bernard manning oh yeah, yeah. and he, he was considered they used to say he was a racist sexist ageist yeah. and everything mm-hmm. else you could think of but bernard when confronted with it would say well no, it actually, if you actually come and see me live, he said, I take the piss out of black people, white people, Chinese, the list would go on. It'd take him 10 minutes to go exactly. through it all. There'd Thank be you. nobody left. And he said, mm. look who's in my audience. And his audience will contain all of these the demographics. The same with Jimmy Carr, really, to a certain yeah. extent. And he but said, Bernard, um, Bernard, Manning famous, Bernard Manning was famous for joining the British Counselling Association. Oh, well, you know, yeah, he, he, there was a picture once of him with his dressing room, Bernard Manning, British Counseling Association. Yeah. Uh, they took a lot of stick for that. It was some years ago now. Um, uh, funny enough, a, a friend of mine's wife was the um, secretary of the British Counseling Association. So wow. anyway, it's a, fun, it's a funny old world. Um, but, you know, coming back to, um, uh, you know, a lot of people... How can we say it? they they don't face up to reality, um, and, and a lot a lot of people think that they're better than they are, um, and and think they deserve things that they don't deserve. You know, so it you know this is where psychology becomes a little bit complicated because sometimes I want to say to people, get off your butt and go out and do it. In fact, in one of my tapes, when I I, I did a tape on why um, why uh, what's his name a woman he, pray that sort of thing why it doesn't work right and um in the beginning of that tape i say look you know if you're in a bad relationship get out of it get a new relationship if you're in a lousy job get out of it and get a new job you know and instead of staying in it and trying to make it better because you never will you should move out affirmations was the word i was looking for why affirmations don't work because they don't work um, because you can't just sit in the mirror and say, oh, God help me, get, make my wife better, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't work. You've got to get off your backside and, and do something about it. And a lot of people don't want to do that. And I think you referred to that earlier. Um, they don't want to do it. They want the, the, the society, the world to hand them the living and uh, have pity on them. Look, uh, this poor chap, he's got this 
you know, he had this terrible mother and had a terrible father and all this. But, you know, I can give you a thousand people that had a terrible mother and terrible father who are now, you know, doing well for themselves. Yeah. So it's nothing That's to do with that. definitely one side of it. The other mm. side, I feel, is the people that have come to realise that they need to take some personal responsibility. And deep down they know mm -hmm. that they could do. Mm -hmm. But they don't because, I'm going to paraphrase what I suspect is a thought process that might only take that long in them, that if mm -hmm. I do and suddenly I wake up one morning and there's people out there who've done this, they wake up and they go, I'm never touching cocaine again, for example, mm -hmm. and they don't. And they go cold turkey and they get through it and mm -hmm. they never touch it again. And they butt up with the flat they get. But some people mentally know that people who've criticised them for having that addiction, if they were to bump into them, might go, mm. oh, you're looking better. Um, you know, have you, have you stopped the drugs? And they go, well, mm. yeah, I have. And the family might say, well, how did you do that? And he's got to say, well, I just decided. I woke up one morning and said, I'm not doing it anymore, and I haven't. Ooh. And rather than getting the pat on the back, well done, which they might get briefly, they end up getting attacked like, well, you silly idiot. Why did you waste so much of your life? Why didn't you do it sooner? And they end up feeling bad so that mm. that will cause them to relapse, yeah, to prove it, that it wasn't that easy. Yeah. Well, the, the other expression you get people saying, ah, oh, yes, but will it last? You know, will it last? <laughs> and, you know, if you look at the flip side of that, um, somebody wakes up and stops drugs. What's the difference between that person and the person who wakes up and decides they're a born-again Christian? It's, there's no difference. It's no difference. Uh, and you can do that on anything, anything at all. You just come to a conclusion and have a, you know, blow this for a game of uh, game of soldiers. I'm going to move on to something else. And people do. Um, and drugs, you know, it's a complicated thing because um, the, the most important and the most powerful drugs are not controlled. Alcohol, nicotine. One of the most powerful uh, substances in the world for addiction is nicotine. And I always say, I say to my students, that if Sir Walter Raleigh had picked the next plant, we'd all be smoking marijuana and nicotine <laughs> illegal. It really would. It was as close as that because he brought the tobacco back, as you know, to England. Um, so, you know, uh, another argument for that is what... Who has got the right to say that anything that grows in the ground and natural, uh, you can't use and, and do? But people do. Now, I, I'm, I'm not in favour of any drugs taken by anybody that causes other people problems. But somebody smoking, I mean, in fact, most of the world now is beginning to become legal, you know, marijuana, yeah. for example. Um, and somebody smoking a bit of marijuana instead of a cigarette, I think good sense to them. You know, marijuana is not addictive, although some people argue, but it's not. But cigarettes are terribly addictive. Yeah, it's not now, physically oh. addictive, but it, I mean, like anything, anything can be psychologically addictive yes, if you're pre-inclined. Yeah. You can colours, you can be addicted to a colour and only wear yeah. the same colour every day. Um, but the couple is, you see, is that people make money. Um, you know um, David Ike? Yeah, I know yeah. David. We've worked together once. Oh, well, he was an old friend of mine. I, I, I've known him many, many years. Not recently, but many years ago. Uh -huh. In fact, my one of my girlfriends in the past was his PA guy, or girl. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and I met David many, many times. Now, the problem is with David is he's gone just a little bit 
over the edge, you know, of what he says with all these lizard men and everything. But other things that he said were totally correct and totally makes sense. And you can actually put it even to the COVID now. He does a lot about COVID. But mm. one question is, if you want to know what's going on, follow the money. That's all you have to do. Follow the money. Follow where all the tobacco money goes, where all the alcohol money goes. A lot of it goes to the governments. Yeah. So why would they want to stop it? Um, COVID, I mean, COVID, in my um, my uh, view of COVID, it is, is an over-exaggeration and an overreaction to things that happen. People try to say it's not a flu, but technically it is a flu. All flus are COVIDs. That's the COVID um, the, the, where the name comes from. Yeah. It's bad flu. I'm, I'm not doubting it's a bad flu, and I've had some friends that have died of it. But it's, you know, the numbers, look at the numbers. You know, they, was it Benjamin Disraeli, I think, was quoted as saying, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. And statistics you can make work for you. Now, in India, for example, a few months ago, they hit 10 million COVID cases, right? And the BBC, the good old BBC, took to heart and in their BBC broadcast, they said, headline, India, 10 million COVID cases. And it was so strong that some of my relatives and friends in England were bringing me up, saying, are you all right? Are you all right? What they didn't tell you was two things. One, they didn't say that out of those 10 million, over 9 million have recovered. So there was less than a million active cases. And then they didn't tell you that the population of India is 1.4 billion. So 10 million against 1.4 billion is nothing. And in fact, the number that have died, according to the official figures in India, is about 150,000, which is about twice the total number in the UK. Yeah. But the Indian population is 20 times the UK. Yeah. See, you, you, you have to really, what we're saying, you have to compare eggs with eggs. You have to pay a like with like. And they well, don't. BBC, as you say, the British Brainwashing Corporation. <laughs> I like that. It's, that. Um, which segues nicely into mind control. I had a, a bullet point here because it's now uh, known. I, I, you mentioned David Icke. These things kind of go together. Mm. Um, during my research for a documentary I've got out called Extreme Danger, Extreme Hypnosis, it's time for the sleepwalking zombies to wake up. Mm -hmm. I looked at all of David Icke's work, I looked into mind control, how it's used in education, religion, mm -hmm. politics. And, for example, in England, um, and anyone who, who looks at the lamestream media will see that during this uh, virus nonsense, there has been mention of the Behavioural Insights team in Westminster in London. It's been dubbed in the media as the nudge unit. Ooh. And their sole purpose is to study human behaviour and find ways of nudging people in the direction they want. Mm. They've got a complete mm. section looking at the best way to convince mm. people to take the vaccine, mm. for example, and they're employing yeah. celebrities and, and stuff. Yeah. During this research, I, know, I, I discovered two things. Firstly, that the um, British Psychological Society right. share the same office building as um, the Tavistock Institute for human yeah. relations that used That's to be the right. Tavistock Hospital, which yeah. were involved in all the MK Ultra experiments with the yeah. CIA, and to this yeah. day are still involved in mind control programs. Yeah. Yeah. 
They're linked to the British Psychological Society. That's one thing I discovered, which is a bit disturbing. And secondly, I also discovered that a large amount of politicians, certainly when they reach a certain level, get sent on what I dubbed as being NLP and hypnosis courses, but mm. that there have been courses put together specifically to teach them deceptive language patterns and this, that, mm. the other, to control mm. and manipulate the mass populace. Yeah, I, I can agree with a certain amount of that. I'm not sure if it's quite so um, deliberate, but it's certainly there by by intent. I mean, this is what, you see, where, where Ike goes wrong, in my opinion, just my opinion, he blames it all on a hierarchy, Illuminati or the lizard people and so on. But, you know, having been, a, I've been in politics as well. I was in politics in the UK. Um, I was uh, in the times of um, uh, Maggie Thatcher and so on, right? And I was lo local councillor. And I realised from the inside that, you know, yes, um, there is a certain amount of manipulation, but people allow it, and they're manipulated by their peers, not by people above them. Um, so what's happening now, if I can take that and bring it to now, what we've got happening in the world is pure and simple mass hysteria. Mass hysteria churned up and turned up by the media. Um, and when the media say things and they and people believe it it turns into this mass hysteria now if you go back to the statistics and and the english government started to do this they started to give a statistic of how many extra deaths in a month you got than what was expected then suddenly they stopped doing that yeah. but you see in in india for example as i've researched this in india on average there are 66 thousand people die every day right um of everything or combined everything yeah. Yeah. right um and so you have to say well are we now killing sixty-seven thousand people a day or or what and in fact it's not and america's the same when you look at the long term how many people you expect to die and how many people die um you can look at it and say oh look this month we got all these many more deaths but if you look at it over the whole year you don't got that many more deaths than what you would expect. And of um, course, there's the oxymoron, certainly in England anyway, that while they're not, while they stop treatment for certain things, mm. that means that people that would have lived longer of those certain things are dying and becoming part of the figures. Well, of course, it, it could also be the other way around, um, you know, because one of the biggest causes of death in the world is called death by doctrine you know you go into hospital and you die so yeah. because of the covid you don't go into hospital so you're still alive again that would affect the figures nice. so, you know and here i don't know what happens in in england but here i know that if you go if you go into hospital with covid the government pay the hospital for looking after you Right. So if you die with COVID, not of COVID, if you die with COVID, then you get the money from the government because you have COVID. Right. Lots of people die of everything. I mean, it was a bit like the old AIDS scandal. You know, nobody ever died of AIDS because AIDS wasn't anything that killed you. So you, will not, you won't find a death certificate anywhere in the world that says he died of AIDS. He died of you know, heart attack, bronchial pneumonia or whatever, because AIDS is, you know, acquired immune defense syndrome. It just stopped your immune system working as well as it could. 
Uh, and a similar situation is now happening with COVID, that people are said to die of COVID that didn't. You see, COVID, um, if you look at the statistics again, mostly old people have died of COVID a lot across the world. And it's like the final straw that killed them off because most of them had diseases anyway. Um, heart disease, uh, diabetes, and so on. And once you have a disease that compromises your immune system, anything coming along will kill you off. A lot of people every year get killed off by the flu. And again, they're normally older people. Uh, flu, COVID, call it what you like. Um, but the overall, you know, you, you probably remember, you don't remember, you won't be around, nor was I, but in 1918, there was the Spanish flu. Yes. Spanish flu. It killed off, we don't know exactly, estimates between 50 and 100 million people worldwide. Now, also bear in mind that the population in 1918 was less than half of what it is now. So the actual death rate was phenomenal. And then from 1918 right up to now, every few years, there's a particular flu. You've got the swine flu, the bird flu, the pig flu, the hen flu, the old Uncle Tom Cobbly and all flu. And all of them so far, with hindsight, have turned out, you know, they said, oh, swine flu and this other's going to be X amount of deaths. It's mm. naturally bad. But two things happened. Number one, they didn't close down the country. They didn't lock no. people down. And number no. two, nowhere near the figures they predicted right. happened, which mm. also is still the case at the moment. Nowhere near the figures mm. predicted have happened. Right. And, and if you will pardon the pun, all of those flus died out. <laughs> they just died out. They, they died a natural death. Um, and nowadays, um, you know, we've got so many problems. Uh, if you take David Icke, because it's from David Icke, I got follow the money. That was the only thing I really thought he was very good at. Look at the money now. Now, there is, um, I'm going to oversimplify it, but I think it's the second law of thermodynamics or maybe the first. No matter can be destroyed, created or destroyed. Only change form. Yeah. yeah. So money is always there. It's not created or destroyed. But what happens is people lose a lot of money. Now, if somebody loses a lot of money, somebody makes a lot of money. This has always been the same. If there's a cross if there's a big stock market crash and companies lose money, other people make money. Look at the yeah. guy who made all the money on the gold, you know, when it dropped. But coming back to what we're doing now, who's making money out of COVID? Well, all the technology companies, Zoom and all that, all making a lot of money. All the pharmaceutical companies, not just the, uh, the drugs, but the masks, the hands, the PPE equipment. Uh, and lots of other things that you wouldn't even think about where people are making lots of money. Amazon, a huge amount of money, home deliveries and so on. But I don't know what happened in England, but in India, even though we had all the various lockdowns and all the things, Amazon kept delivering. Yeah, oh yeah. Almost they've, sh they've shut all the non-essential shops, but you can buy all those things pretty much off Amazon and get them delivered to your door. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, what's going on here? <laughs> what's going on? And, and that's, um, you know, a classic case. I, I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist per se, because I think that we, you and I and the rest of the population, create our own conspiracies, you know. Um, oh, or amplify uh, them, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there's somebody pulling the strings, the Rockefellers and all that. I don't personally believe that. But I do believe that, you know, the press have got a lot to do with it. Because, you know, who, who have... I remember years and years ago, somebody said to me, he said, I, I can tell you the press. He said, it's very simple. You know, 
dog bites man, no news. Man bites dog, big news. And, and that's it, because the press are just looking for things that are news. And news is anything that's death, destruction and not nice. Well, the saying in the media uh, is, if it bleeds, it leads. Yes. In other words, the more severe, traumatic mm. um, or painfully graphic the storyline, the more likely it is to be front page. A good example of that is right now, I'm sure you may or may not have heard two days ago, three days ago, there was a plane crash, Indonesian plane crash. Yeah. But there was only 50 people on board. Only 50 people died, you know. Not like the one, the Malaysian 518 or whatever it was, where four, 300 people went missing and therefore great conspiracy theories can come out yeah. that hasn't been found and so on. But here they found the wreck straight away. They found the black box, everything. No longer news. No longer news. I'm very, very sorry for the people, who, the relatives of those people who have died. It's not yeah. considered newsworthy. But COVID is still considered newsworthy. Ridiculous, isn't it? And there's so much fear-mongering, isn't there? I mean, you know, months and months ago, some people got dubbed as being conspiracy theorists or it, it, with the same label when they were saying, one of the best forms of defence against um, this virus is uh, vitamin D. And yeah. other... Uh, other yeah vitamins, vitamins, wherever you may be. And now, in January 2021, the mainstream media and the mainstream medical experts and the World Health Organization, all these places, have come out finally and said one of the best things you can do is top up on your vitamin D and other Mm. vitamins and stuff. I've been taking them for a year. Why didn't they come out right at the beginning and say that? This doesn't make money, Jonathan. It doesn't make money. You know, you can't make money out of vitamins. You can't make money out of food. You can't make money out of anything natural. You have to make money out of something that's been made and, and drugs and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, the, the reality of it is if you are fit and healthy, you won't have a problem with any of these diseases. You may get COVID, but, you know, 80% of people who get COVID recover, have no problem at all. And about 60% of them have no symptoms. So, you know, what's that? And that's because they're fit. They're healthy. They look after themselves. Um, the, the vitamin D is, is an important issue. And, you know, remember they were talking about why our um, black people and Asian people, why they're dying of COVID. Um, and it was obvious because they don't get the sun. You know, y- you can get five minutes of sun but a darker skinned person would have to spend half an hour to have the same amount of vitamin D go into them. Ah, yeah. We don't think about that. And also, of course, especially in England and America, which is not the natural home of dark skinned people, they don't get the sun anyway. You don't get so much sun. Now, in India, like India, uh, which is quite a sunny country, there's a lesser amount of uh, problems with COVID because people are taking the sun and the vitamin D and the skin is absorbing it. But a darker skinned person needs up to, you know, five or ten times the amount of sun that the likes of you and I would need. Uh, and that was so obvious. Even in America, they, they, they were saying, you know, all the, all the Afro-Americans were dying by a greater percentage. And it was simply what you just been saying, the vitamin D and the lack of sunlight. And they must have known that, right? Okay, so as you say, the only logical conclusion is that there was no profit to be made out of that. But now we're at a stage where they're making the profits from sources, so now they are coming out. You know, so it shuts up the people who, you know, can more and more 
considered respectable doctors did start <laughs> speaking out and saying take your vitamin D and do this that, that and it, prevent. it comes back to your PC your political correctness again we can't say that because he's not politically correct but now it's okay to say that and now it's more politically correct I mean you, you mentioned political political correctness before and I think that it came to a stage where it went mad when I was in the local council in uh, in um, Wimbledon uh, London Borough of Merton um, all sorts I was actually at the time chairman of Merton Sports Council I was on various uh, governorships of you know all that it's all political all that lots political we had a, a circular came around now this is how it went like this you can't call somebody a chairman anymore right so they said okay well let's call it a chairperson so that lasted a little while and then they said no you can't call somebody a chairperson because maybe they're not you know so now they just call it the chair this is the chair of the meeting you know um, and then they had this stupid idea that you couldn't have brainstorming right because brainstorming is unfair to epileptics this was oh, no, no, thing. No. and so they came out with a, a statement that said well what we'll do we'll call it um thought showers thought showers and, and when i heard this i was in goa and it was in the monsoon season so i said why don't we go full hog and call it thought monsoons um but apparently it's okay now to have um uh you know this brainstorming but it, for a little while it was stopped you know the pc changes depending on how the world goes um but you know i i find it you know you can't you can't change a person a person is a white caucasian he's a black african he's a you know a, an indian or a Chinese or Japanese that's what they are and to try and hide it behind some political correctness of a saying in fact in itself becomes almost derogatory you know so I mean based on that you know I mean we live in a world where some elements of it make sense but in some as you've just said I would agree are just ridiculous but you can have a say uh, let's make randomly make this up Chinese, a, ma a, ma a male mm. who's born uh, Chinese, a Chinese man, uh, but we now live in a day and age where if they want to identify as a uh, Danish woman, yeah. we can actually face legal proceedings for pointing out that they're quite clearly a Chinese man. Yeah. Yeah, and it's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, it was a program on television recently, English television, um, about um, sexual identity, right? Because there's been a few problems with people having pre-ops and all. And eventually it turned out that there are over 100 ways of calling somebody of their sex. You know, we, we sort of think about male and female, that's, that's it, you know, but now you've got things like, well, you've got male and female and, and homosexual and lesbians and gays and pre-op uh, changes and post-op changes and, and, and so on. And, and it was on to, that, to this morning programme, they were debating it with that guy from Piers Morgan. I like him. He's great. He gets people going. And they turned out there was a over a hundred names of how you can call somebody sex. A hundred different ways. Do you know the only one that make? Well, no. There's a couple of them that make total sense. I mean, but I mean, I totally accept that if someone's you know biologically born male, but they feel 
that they're mm-hmm. trapped in a, a man's body and they need the op- that the moment they start that process that the, the, they are arguably female and should be referred to as she yeah, totally great. accept that of course you know people should be accepted for who they are but there are certain contexts where it just becomes ridiculous almost yes. like it's yeah. being done on purpose to control society yeah. divide yeah. and conquer did you were you ever a fan of star trek star trek i watched i watched it a bit i didn't i, I didn't i wouldn't put myself oh. in the I always remember one particular episode of Star Trek where there was a guy who was painted. This side was black and that side was white. And he was running around on the ship causing havoc, you see. Um, I forget the story, but eventually they got him and sat him down and they found there were two of them. So they sat them both down. And Kirk said to one of them, Look, you're the same. You're both half black and half white. And he said, oh, no. He said, he's black on the right half and I'm black on the left half. <laughs> I thought that made such a mockery of all these silly people. You know, um, you, know you might as well say uh, you and I are of a special breed because it doesn't look like you've got much hair on top either. So we, we have to be, you know, you have to call us bald, but then... I'm more bald than you, so I must be more powerful than you are because I've got no hair up here. But then I've got a lot down here. And so, I mean, you're right, it gets ridiculous. It's real splitting hairs, isn't it? So how, you know, because NLP, because um, mm. um, this does say, you know, people listening and watching might have thought we've gone off on one, but I can yeah. promise you that everything we've talked about is relevant to NLP because it's relevant mm. to communication, which it knows is an NLP is. But one of the main tenants is that the territory is not the map. Yeah, the map is not the territory. The map is not the territory, rather. I always say that the wrong way around. Um, And that the expert on the person's thoughts, feelings, emotions, and their modalities and sub-modalities, what they... Mm NLP terms vague for Mm. people listening, that's visual, auditory, kinesthetic, olfactory, gustory. Their sensory representational system, so to speak, they are the expert on them, and we have to, if you follow the standard NLP route, uh, probably use metamodel questioning and such like to mm. find out that person's identity, what their representational system is, mm. and get all this information prior to using whatever process to help them with whatever issue therapeutically. Okay. Now, I always just thought, what's the fucking point in that, excuse the language? Bollocks to VACOG, why waste time? I'll just tell them, and one of the standard phrases I use in my sessions, whether it's hypnotically or eyes open, NLP, Mm -hmm. is I'll just say, imagine it in a way that feels right for you, so they can fill in Mm -hmm. the blank. It's Mm -hmm. almost as if, so Mm -hmm. whatever they experience, they can never go, well, that's wrong, because it's almost Mm -hmm. as if. Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost as if you can taste, smell, see, feel, and or hear everything as 100% total reality in a way that feels right for you. And let them just fill in the bloody blanks. Why bother wasting the time? Well, yeah, I I can understand that. But, of course, with my psychology hat on, and I sort of tend to connect some of the dots together here, Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things we do in our brain is we sort out how to do something and then it's left there. That is the, the map, you know. And I tell you, I, I, I can see this a lot. In a, you've got an NLP room or a, a room where you're training people. They come in and they think about where they're going to sit. And they find a place and they sit down. And 
you get on with the morning. Now, if at lunchtime you move all those chairs around all over the place, just for fun, move them all over the place, and watch them come back in, because they come back in, they follow the map in their head, because they made it earlier, oh, my chair's there, oh, this isn't my chair, and they sort of sit in amazement for a few seconds, because they then have to start doing it all over again. And, and that's basically because humans are lazy creatures. In fact, if you, if you look at evolutionary psychology, um, we, there's none of this women and children first rubbish. It's me first. You know, we have this desire to be first and be there and be everything because if we don't, we won't survive. Um, the guy, what's the guy's... Um, Maslow, the hierarchy no, of needs. No, the new guy that writes all the books on evolutionary uh, biologic, biology. Um, I can see his picture, but I can't get his name for the moment. Not um, Dawkins. Dawkins, yeah. Richard Dawkins. Yeah, right, Richard Dawkins, one of his books is called The Selfish Gene, yeah. where he explains that humans are selfish. And we are. We're incredibly selfish. It's me first, and that, that's all there is to it. But in, in the evolutionary biology, a lot of it can be explained because the brain is lazy. It makes something up, and then it just wants to carry on the same thing. We call that a habit, don't we? We call it a habit. Some habits are good. You know, you don't have to think about how to tie your shoelaces. You can just do it. But if you have to think about it, it takes up too much time. So we tend to want to turn everything to a habit. And that's where the idea, and it was one of the uh, linguistics, wasn't it? Ch Chomsky that said the map no, is not... No, Chomsky. Yeah, no, Chomsky. Well, he came, didn't come from NLP. But, you know, truthfully, NLP is not anything. It was not, you know, Richard Band and John Grin to take the claim for it, but it's not. They just copied everybody else's and put it together. Oh, copied? No, no, you mean modelled, don't you? Yes, yes, sorry, sorry. yes, yes, it modelled everybody else's. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, actually, because lots of people have done it in the past. Of course, it's gone on forever, yeah. Of course, even, even that, that famous psychologist, you know, the guy, the, the womanising uh, drug addict, um, Sigmund Freud, Right? Sick mind fraud, yeah. yeah. The womanizing drug addict. Now, he copied a lot from other people, um, and they all copy, and they all go back. And, of course, if you, depending on where you come from, if you come from a, a religious sect of any type, um, you can trace it back to your religion, to whether it be Christianity, whether it be uh, Hinduism or Muslim or anything else, you can trace everything back to that because there's nothing new under the sun. It's only put together in different ways. And, and that's all. And, and the, the way NLP is put together, it, it's quite an easy way for people to um, understand some basic psychology, because all of it is just basic psychology. You know, uh, people will follow other people. There is always a leader. You know, you throw, uh, you throw 20, 20 people together in a room within half an hour, a leader will, will develop. And if it doesn't, there'll be two leaders that break into two groups. We know this. We've known this for hundreds of years. And yet NLP makes it like it's brand new. It's always oh, it's very interesting. This is NLP. Um, so a lot of it is just normal, normal psychology. That's why at the beginning I used to call it pop psychology. But it is a, um, you know, there are some interesting connections that go together. I mean, yes, of course, we're taught we have five senses. Actually, you have 22 senses. A human being, and there's arguments, some people say 21, but oh, 21 or 20, 22, totally independent senses. 
But we only really talk in NLP about the five senses because they're what we immediately react with the world. We see, we hear and feel and smell and taste and so on. But at the same time, you, you want a better balance. Are you in balance? Is the, is the, you know, the, is the floor like that? And that's a sense. You don't really think about it. And when you're doing this VACOG, are you feeling hungry or thirsty? They're all senses. You know, they go on in the body. Then you have senses you don't even know about. That how do you know your your arms been lifted up? And you have to react the muscle. There's certain tension strengths in all your muscles. So it's easy just to take a simple approach. And I think most average human beings are just looking for a very simple approach to put themselves on a relatively straight and narrow path, so they don't upset people. And NLP has that advantage of doing that it gives you an, enough information to put you on a uh, on a nice comfortable path to stop you reacting and when you add this timeline stuff in as well you know it stops you re reacting stops you being angry makes you a bit relaxed and it's very easy to say oh it's your model of the world you know you're, you're okay <laughs> you can do that and and if you did that with everybody all the time life would be very peaceful unfortunately it doesn't work that because i will have a better model of the world than you do Remember, who was it that said, all, I think it was George Orwell out of Animal Farm, wasn't it? It was pigs, but we often say all men are created equal, right? And that, um, that wit guy, the... Um, some more equal than others. Yeah, said some are more equal than others. And, and, and that's so true. That's so true is what, is what we are. And if our world is not disturbed, we don't call it any problem. But as soon as our world is disturbed in some way, we get problems. And I, so I... I, I'm almost like this with NLP. Yes, it's good. Uh, yes, it's simple. Uh, yes, it's a bit of psychology, but it's not real psychology. It's a bit of it's a bit. Of, but the thing is, as we said right from the beginning, if for you it works and it makes you a calmer and better person, and maybe even make you more money and and enable you to survive in this world of COVID and wizard men and everything else then there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course not. Um, now, there's some standout. There's a couple of standout mm. famous techniques, important mm. seeming ritualistic processes. Call them what you will within, mm. within NLP. And they do have the roots in stuff that predates yes, being relabeled as NLP, as yeah. you've already acknowledged. Um, let's just look at a couple of these. One of them in particular that I use a heck of a lot Mm. And I was using before I ever encountered NLP, because to mm. be honest, you know, I was hypnotizing people back in 1989 when I was 14, mm. dealing mm. with clients. And I was using this technique. You're just a young man. Amazing. About mm. then. Um, and he, I, I, I hadn't looked into NLP. And when I did, I was like, oh, they've just renamed idiomotor responses and... Mm parts therapy and put it together and called it this six-step reframe that's right which uh, obviously was published in frogs interprinted by bandler and rinder yeah. but see in recent years and this is this is leading to a question in recent years people have repackaged and they're doing it all the time repackaged to sell apparently new techniques and courses everything mm. from all pain to go drain that pain um flipping oh christ um law of attraction steps, the, the, and all of them mm. 
ultimately, I just idiomoto response, direct communication with the unconscious, subconscious mm. mind. And mm. perhaps effectively, it's the six-step refrain. Mm-hmm. How often do you, I mean, do you use that particular technique a lot? It's one that I use a hell of a lot. Um, I, I, we, you know, supposedly the six-step reframe is superseded by uh, parts integration. Well, because yeah. the, the six-step means you have to make another part and talk to that part and all that. So we tend to cut that out. But, you know, reframing per se I always say is the most powerful thing you can do for anybody and anything. Um, and and the, the other thing which I brought, brought in is this, um, and this is a very important concept, is that there is no such thing as right or wrong, positive or negative, nothing. It, everything just is. Everything just is. It's the viewer. Or the very user. Buddhist and Zen. Yeah, but the viewer or the user makes it right or wrong for them. So we tend to use the term useful or not useful rather than right or wrong or good or bad or anything. Because, you see, there's no such thing as an absolute truth. There can't be. Truth is relevant to the way you're looking at it and relevant to your background and everything else. And truth is only relevant to you at this moment in time. Now, I I can take this and I can say this is a great pen. This is a good pen. And it's like it's a magic wand. Yeah, and it's great for picking the nodes, you know, because it clears <laughs> the nodes out quite nicely, especially this end, it's even easier. Somebody else could look at this and say, oh, that's a horrible pen. It's a horrible colour. It's grey and it leaks all over your hand. No, it's rubbish. It's crap. But does this change? No, it's still a pen. Uh, I remember a nuclear physicist, the famous nuclear physicist said to me, he said, I'm not going to go too heavy into nuclear physics, but uh, the basic building block of everything is an atom. Okay, but I think we will accept there's an atom. And in the atom, you've got a nucleus and you've got a photon and a neutron that spins around. And they're kept apart by electrical charge. Okay, but if they weren't kept apart, they weren't kept apart, this would collapse, the whole world would collapse and nothing would exist. So it's kept apart. Now, he said, it doesn't matter whether you call the nuclear positive or negative. Makes no difference whatsoever. We can change it and call it positive. We can call it negative. It makes no difference to the atom. It's still an atom. It's still kept apart. They still won't collapse. And that's the basic building block of everything. There's no difference between positive and negative. And that's the same thing in life. There is no positive and there is no negative. Um, You know, whatever you concentrate on, you'll get. You can concentrate on, let's say, a lovely, long-haired, blonde girl with big legs and big Mm-hmm. And if you concentrate on it enough, it'll come into your life because that's all you're looking for, right? Or you can say, oh, I don't like them. I'm not only going to concentrate on this and that will come into your life. And this is, you know, what they like to brand as the law of attraction. But it's not. It's just what do you want? Do you want no, long haired blondes or do you want short haired brunettes? It's what you're focusing on. You're excluding the other. It's, you, that's it's right. Exactly. Conventional mm-hmm. psychology would say it's what you've kind of handed over to your reticular activating system to focus on. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, people blow all this out of all proportion, especially here. You can get law of attraction, you can pay fortunes for a law of attraction, and they have oh big groups, and let's all concentrate on money, and we'll get money. Well, you know, in my world, I have this quote that says, the only time success comes before work is in the dictionary. 
you've got to go and do your work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so many people just want a free lunch. They just want to find a, uh, an excuse for this is where we started. You know, you start said at the very beginning. Most people just don't want to do any work. They just want a nice cheap way. If, if I can blame it on psychology, if I can blame it on the, the, the universe, if I can blame it on you or me or anybody else, I don't want to take responsibility for it. You know, remember I was saying about David Icke. When I first met David Icke, the latest edition of the American, the American Psychological Association Diagnostic and Statistic Manual. DSM-5 uh, being the latest one. It, well, DSM-4 just come out. It was a, no, I think it was DSM. Anyway, it just come out. And for the first time, they put ADHD as a disease and ADD as a disease. And I was having breakfast with David when this happened. And I said, you know... It was a joke. He didn't realize it was a joke. I said, you know, they actually thought about putting RDD in as well. The responsibility deficit disorder. <laughs> Nobody can claim that. I've got no responsibility for this. <laughs> and he actually thought I was serious. And he opened up his speech an hour later with that story about RDD going into the <laughs> It put me off a little bit about him when he doesn't check his facts, you know. But, but um, you know, I, I'll tell you something else. With ADHD coming in, you know what went out as a mental disorder? But homosexuality in the same edition went out. So up until, I think that was 2000, uh, 1995 or something like that. So up until 1995, homosexuality was a psychological disorder. And then suddenly, boom, it no longer was. A lot I of viewers and listeners, yeah, I mean, you'll be aware because of your background, but a lot of viewers and listeners may have heard of DSM-5, um, mm. Diagnostic Statistical Manual of... Yeah, it's basically but, all the illnesses. Mm. But they may not realise that it's actually just voted on by a committee as to what yeah. should go in it or be thrown it's out. Not. But what makes it even worse is it's legally binding. You know, if, if you can prove from the DSM that you've got five or, depending on the disease, you've got five or more characteristics of this, then you are OCD or you are depressive or whatever. And and the law backs it up. Which is uh, ironic because for most of the things, for a large majority of them, my studies show me that you could take any random person off the street and get them to fit more than one of the things in that's right. The they, they, yeah, they could be as mad as a hatter or as sane as you like, depending on what you do. And also things change. I don't know if you know, but there's a couple of sort of really modern things coming out now. One is on depression. And they're now considering that depression is a natural state, a bit like the fight, flight or freeze. Mm -hmm. right? So you've got fight, flight, freeze, depression. And that depression protects you from problems. And so they're now looking at it as a naturally occurring state that sometimes gets pushed out of, out of, out of too much. Um, so depression is, um, may in fact even come out eventually when they realize that it isn't really a bad thing. But of course, the pharmaceutical people don't want that because the project... Too much money in it. No, exactly. Um, and another thing, also quite new thinking, is on this idea of consciousness. You know, they say that consciousness is the hard question. What is consciousness and so on? Well, there's a whole big group of scientists that are now thinking that consciousness can become one of the forces of the universe. 
you know that the four great forces that we say everything you know it's um uh electromagnetic gravity weak and strong nuclear force but now they think that maybe consciousness is another force and that it is everywhere and and we tap into it as we need it the force it's interesting that things like that the now so-called um so I've just got a slightly itchy ear with the earphone. Uh, that the so-called conventional, respectable scientists yeah. and experts, yeah. as opposed to your conspiracy theorists yeah, yeah. Or, or new age trioggy types. Yeah. But your new age trioggy types have said forever yeah. that consciousness yeah. is part of it. There's a universal consciousness that we That's tap right. into. That your likes of um, the mental block, uh, Nikola Tesla and the great yeah. inventors, we're yeah. tapping into that apparently. Yeah. Yeah. And and so everything, you know, what goes around comes around. Um, but and, and the other thing that I've always get on my hobby horse about is that most of what we know is actually not true. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, you see, you, you, you listen to the words and people say, oh, there's this theory and that theory. But theory is not truth. Right. And the classic example of this is Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory is being pounded everywhere as an absolute truth, but it's not. It's only a theory. It's the biggest one we got at the moment, but there are other theories of the creation of the universe. And there, most things we do are theories. There's very few absolute truths. Um, and yet so many people take a theory and call it an absolute truth, which brings us back to COVID-19. There are theories about it, but people take them as absolute truths. But they're not absolute truths. Especially if a perceived authority figure yeah, or right. alleged held up to be respectable because, yeah. you know, certain newspapers, magazines and news outlets, yeah. the majority of the mass populace go, well, if it comes from that source, it must be true. But Dr. over here, it must be a yeah. nut job. Dr. Forsey, for example, the American guy, you know, if he says it's got to be true, but he's just the same as you and I. There's no different to anybody else. He's got his own ideas and theories. And, and that's where, you know, the whole thing gets problematic, where the whole, if you like, conspiracy theory comes in is because so many people are holding out that their truth is better than the other person's truth. And, and so it goes on ad infinitum and, and the same thing's happening now they want to impeach Donald Trump again and he's refusing to say um, goodbye and shake Biden by the hand but then Mike Pence is the deputy guy has jumped in and said oh well, I'll shake him by the hand you know it gets it, it gets ridiculous the whole thing and if if that happens at that high echelon of society if you, if you get whatever your politics are but if you see a president of the free world so to speak right doing strange things how can a, a 15 year old boy looking at this make sense of what's right or wrong in the world anymore you can't can you it, it's just ridiculous um and and this happens everywhere you know how much through the media because you did mention the media earlier i, I in my experience i like your view on this i find a lot of clients i know we talked about them having to take responsibility or not Slightly different than that. Mm. Um, get stuck in a, you spoke about fight and flight. Well, there's fight mm. and flight, freeze or shite. Mm. I believe it's down, getting dubbed. Mm. You either kill dinosaur, run like the clappers from dinosaur. Or stand still and sh shit. Shit, yeah. hoping that the smell will get rid of dinosaur. Or freeze, where you go, what shall I do? Shall I run away? Mm. Shall I fight? 
shall I run away, shall I fight? And you become confused and disorientated. Mm -hmm. And well, then it's just too bloody late because you're mm -hmm. frozen. And I think a lot of human beings through everyday life, through taking on board the fear that's instilled mm -hmm. into them or the confusion and disorientation mm -hmm. and uncertainty fed into them through mm -hmm. the media outlets, Mm. reporting on the perceived authority figures and this, that, mm. the other. Get stuck in the freeze. I don't know what to do. I just give up. Don't bother. I'll do nothing. And then they may end up in front of somebody like your good self. Mm. And I think a large amount of what we do is to just unstick them from that freeze. Yeah, absolutely. Because the freeze means you do nothing. You stay as you are. Um, if, if you look um, anywhere, I mean, I'm looking in Goa, but you can look in England, the rule says you wear a mask. How many people do you see not wearing a mask? How many parties carry on? How many things carry on? So that, if it metaphorically is the freeze, I'm not going to go with the, the, the rules and I'm not going to go against the rules. I'm just going to do what I've always did, which is, you know, most people stay in their comfort zone, what I've always done. Right. Um, so, yeah, this this freezing is, is a good way of putting it. Um, why should I change? You know, if I get COVID, I'll die. If, if I get run over by a bus, I die. If, if a lightning strikes me, I'll die. You know, and lots of people get died by buses. Interesting enough, I don't know about in England, but in India, um, in the early part of the COVID, the number of people that died on the road dropped dramatically because people weren't going out on the road. So there again is a if you look at all this again at disproportional figures because they change you have to take everything into account but coming back to your saying yes freezing uh, another way i would put it is probably not bothering why should i bother i can't do anything i can't make any difference i'm just a little tiny man here i can't i can't uh, make any difference to the prime minister or the president or whatever so i just won't bother and that in a way is a form of freezing isn't it staying staying as you are um, and I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people are going with that, what we would call the status quo. And yet um, NLP also says, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. So if you want something different, do something different. Yes, and I, I agree with that. You see, but if you're, if you're happy, look, if, if you're a, a pig in shit all day long and enjoying every minute of it, why do you want to get that pig, wash him down and put him into, you know, mother care? because he'll be unhappy so you lead the pig where he is you you lead the horse where he is you lead the cow where he is you, you when you when it comes to animals and plants you don't want to say oh i've got to change that tree that tree's growing very ugly i've got to go and get some surgical spirit and cut these off and no you don't do that but we do it with humans don't we, we say, oh, I, you know, I must change something i don't feel comfortable here i'll move but there are people i can tell you you know there are lots of people that are perfectly happy in what they do. There was a great American guy, and I can't think of his name for the moment. He was a commentator, and he, he used to call, he used to talk about sheep and shepherds, right? Mm -hmm. So you have a flock of sheep, and you have a shepherd that looks after them. Now, what would happen if the sheep become the shepherd? You know, um, and, and what happens in life is that we have sheep. We need sheep. Whatever you want to call them, I'm trying to be polite, but, you know, dustmen, sewage workers, bricklayers, builders, they're all people that we need. Right? Oh, yeah. Now, if all those people became bosses, oh, I want to be the boss, well, who's going to do the work? Who's going to be the sheep? They're not there anymore. So 
you know, the, the theory is this. If you're happy being a sheep, be a sheep. If you're happy in what you do, do it. If you're not happy and you want to move out, that's also okay. But you don't want to deliberately make everybody unhappy to move out of the sheep position and, and become shepherds because you, you've got too many vacancies for sheep. And I think that's something that we, you know, I mean, I've come across, I'm sure you have, I've come across loads and loads of people in the world that are perfectly happy in what they do. Leave them alone, they're perfectly happy. Whether they're going thump, bang, thump on a conveyor belt every day, picking up rubbish or cutting people open, the surgeons, you know, they're happy at what they do. And if they're happy at what they do, which is very much against if you always did what you always did, if you're happy always doing what you always did, then carry on doing it yeah. and don't bother and don't change people. But people that are not happy, they're the ones that you, you can change and work on. Um, and there's not as many of those as you think. Um, obviously, we sometimes look with blinkered eyes because I only see people that come to me for help. Um, I had a very good friend of mine. She passed on now, but she was um, she was a real um, diochemy because she was a police surgeon, which is about one of the most um, traditional doctors you can think of. And at the same token, she was totally alternative. She had all the alternative stuff and went in all of it. And the, the, the arguments I used to have with her, is she used to say there are so many drug addicts in London. She was in London. Oh, this place is full of drug addicts. But the reality was that in her daily work, all she saw was drug addicts. It's the blinkering effect again. All she saw was drug addicts. Therefore, there was a high percentage of drug addicts everywhere. And so whatever you do, whether it be slight little freeze there will it unfreeze or oh we seem to have lost the connection no we've unfrozen it's okay oh okay or, or, or the or the surgeon and so on. so whatever you do you're blinkered into thinking that's your little bit and the whole world is like that um and, and you know that's probably one one of the problems in the whole world is putting people, allowing people to be what they want to be. I um, I have this philosophy that says, I say, first be yourself, be yourself. That's number one. Number two is let others be themselves. And number three is don't put yourself on others. And I think if you did that, if everybody did that, life would be a much more pleasant way because I can be who I am and you can be who you are. I agree. I think one of the big problems, and it's very much what you've just said, um, just from a, have a slightly different way of saying it, really, is that people getting conditioned by seeing celebrities on TV and in the media and stuff and thinking they've got to always aspire to more, the keeping up with the Joneses thing, where in truth, the person down the street with the bigger house and the bigger car may actually be massively more in debt than you. It doesn't actually necessarily mean they're happier. And I think also the um, the stars, whatever you want to call it, you know, the pop stars and so on, are keeping up with the lower people. You know, you see pop stars now going heavily for tattoos because they feel that they have to associate with the tattooed community of the world. So I think it works both ways. I think the star is just as much wanting to... Um, be recognized by the 
the public and step to the public's level as the public is trying to recognize the star and step to the star's level. Uh, and I can tell you from my experience of working with people that the, the most mixed up, craziest people in this world are entertainers, yeah. professional entertainers. Uh, they're, they're, some of them are terrible. Um, uh, I, I knew one, I can't mention his name, but he was very well known. I might say he had a slightly different hand. Um, I don't think he's alive now, but anyway. Jeremy um, Beadle is sadly no longer with us. Uh, yeah, well, then I can probably say more about him because he was one of my clients at one time. And he, he would come out of his uh, production, wherever he was doing, or his show, or whatever, come home and cry his eyes out because yeah. he was basically very lonely. You know, and some of these people are. And, and also self-sabotage. I know I did actually meet Jeremy at yeah. a magic convention because magic was one of his big hobbies. Yeah, it was, and right. yes. He, he did, um, I was very young at the time, and he, he gave me advice. So I said, you know, did, how do you know when you, you know, you perfected something type of thing? And he mm. said, you've just got to learn to trust the audience reaction the truth is you'll never think it's good enough you'll probably end up back in your hotel room thinking just beating oh. yourself up about yeah. everything that went wrong yeah, rather than focusing good. on the good things very good advice he gave you because that's what he used to do so it's it's great um so yeah i think uh, i'm running a bit out of time i don't know how you we have it. we have come in very close to the end so please before yeah. I'm sorry, it's gone off yeah. on one, but you know yeah. what, people watching and listening, there's pure gold in this, as I always say, get a pad and a pen, and if you're listening to the audio one, go to hypnosisweek.com and click and go and watch the video one as well, you get the facial expressions and body language, take notes, there's tons to learn from this that's relevant to all areas of life, as well as, of course, to therapy, and with that in mind, David's links will be below this video or below the uh, podcast, mm. Um Tell them a little bit about what they can find out and come and learn from you, because I know you've got various books out there. You've got training yeah. programs you do. Well, I, I run training programs on all levels of NLP, from beginner to master trainer. Um, I run hypnosis, psychotherapy and coaching. That's basically what I do. And the great thing about people that don't live in India is that it's much, much cheaper here. Um, you know, the um, the practitioner program is £400, if you look at English money, uh, and, the, and the master practitioner is £800. Uh, you can't get that sort of quality of training anywhere else for that sort of money. And you can have a cultural holiday built in. Yeah, yeah. well, I get people coming, um, I often get people come once a year uh, for practitioner, master practitioner and trainer, all back to back. It's about a month and they come in from um, America, from everywhere. And they still, with their air flight, with their accommodation, everything else, they still get changed from the average practitioner program or, or master practitioner program. So one thing we have to offer is, is, is very cheap. It has to be cheap because the Indian economy is about a tenth of Europe, Europe or America. So everything is about 10 times cheaper. Um, that I do. I, I do take on, you know, one to one programs for people, but not as much as rather I take on too much. I, I tried to keep that back. Um, so, yes, we run all the all the main programs on uh, NLP and uh, we, we certi certify with all the major certification bodies. Uh, I, I'm an, a, an American Board of NLP trainer, um, I, I'm an 
ANLP trainer, um, an Elta, the lot. We, we cover everything, you know, and I'll, I'll put it another way around. Everybody accepts my certificates because I'm too old and I've been around a long time and nobody <laughs> will argue with me, you know. Um, so, uh, and ANLP India, that's the proper name, ANLP India, as opposed to ANLP CIC UK. ANLP India is the only uh, organization that is truly democratic and free. Uh, there's no chance to join ANLP India. You can go ANLP in and join for free no monthly charge but there's no certification date that runs out anything like that and, nice and all our certificates are valid for life um the, the only certificate that's not valid for life is the certificate i would give you so you could join one of the other organizations who will charge you every year to be a member of it yeah. which is which is ridiculous and for uh, Indian situation it's so bloody expensive you know uh, I have we haven't even talked about coaching but ICF International Coaching Federation cost me $350 a year just to belong to them um, ridiculous amount of money I mean okay maybe not big for Americans and maybe even Europeans but it's still a lot of money and especially for Indians yeah. so our coaching organization ANLP coaching free you know, I believe everything, you know, let's be reasonable. Let's share our costs. Let's share our information for a minimum of cost. Um, and that way more people can involve. Uh, if you want to come to go and do our courses, I'll even give you free accommodation. So that can't be bad. So you just get on a, on a plane. I think a plane from England to go is 500 pounds at the moment return. Um, well, when, I think they've just opened it up. Sixteen. Mm -hmm. Of eight Jan or they're going to open it up on the 16th of January so you can fly to India uh, it's 500 quid and you can stay here very very cheap you know a couple of hundred pounds will keep you for a month in food and drink and everything else it's a very cheap country you know that itself as well as, well as the fact that look over the past and we did overrun over the past hour and 40 minutes. We're going to wrap this up now. But over the past hour and 40 minutes, David has covered so many areas of everyday life. The first listening or sight, you might think, what's that got to do with NLP? Watch, listen again, and you'll realize the penny will drop. If you mm. liked his style of um, discussion, uh, I can pretty much confidently say that's a good example of the way he would be training you too exactly. as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have a very democratic training process. I have a, uh, obviously have to cover all the necessary bits, but we'll go off in tangents if the, if the group want it and they want to know. In fact, today we had quite a long session on dreaming, ah. a subject that people are interested in, um, and rapid eye movements and deep sleep and are dreams real and all this sort of stuff. So, you know, it, there's, a, there's a lot of interesting stuff that people want to know. And I don't vary from the NLP program. So we have the basic requirement for all the organizations in the world to say you've been trained to practitioner, master practitioner or trainer. Yeah. But wherever possible, we throw in other things that the students want to know. I, I don't um, I don't ban any question. I, I don't shy away from any question. If I really don't know it, I'll say, I'm sorry, I don't know it, but I'll find out for you and let you know Excellent. tomorrow. There's so many trainers that think they're little deputy gods you know and uh, i've seen them they don't even socialize with the students because all oh, no oh. Oh, keep away from them uh, me i sit on the floor with them drink with them eat with them i've got a roof terrace you know everything so um 
You know, they say you pays your money, you takes your choice. It's as simple as that. Excellent. It's well, nice thank to, you so much for it's nice to with you again over all these many, many years. Yes. Um, and I'm sure that we the will. Viewers and listeners that don't know, David also is interested in magic. I know some mm. of my viewers and listeners are into magic. That's magic as in rabbits out of hat style magic, not rituals uh, um, and stuff. <laughs> <Curry>. <laughs> Thank you, David. Yeah, some of the rules of magic are so great. You know, the misdirection. (laughs) Look over here. (laughs) Great. Okay. I find a lot of crossovers. Thank you, David. It's been an absolute pleasure. Nice. And thank you, viewers and listeners. Please share this around your social media platforms. Help spread this uh, knowledge and advice. Bye for now. Bye-bye.